coffee farmers are consistently underpaid and overworked. The problem for many lies in the current system of coffee farming. Fair trade is provided as a dynamic solution, however fair trade is not entirely exempt from conventional coffee farming detractors. In Daniel Joffe's 2006 book, Brewing Justice, Joffe talks about the history of free trade and its pros and cons. He focuses primarily on the cooperative Miquiza, a group of coffee farmers in the southern Mexican state of Oaxaca. I want to review his text to give you a primer on the topic and then expand on paths forward to consider. Joffe provides a quick overview of how coffee was initially globalized. It was originally the secret of Arabic-speaking countries who were able to keep a monopoly over its use and cultivation until 1616. Dutch traders smuggled coffee out of Mocha's port in Yemen and established plantations in their colonial settlements in Java, and in 1800, coffee was planted in the Mexican highlands facing the Pacific and Gulf coasts in the states of Chiapas and Veracruz. These colonial plantations expanded west and north to Oaxaca and Puebla. These colonial planters used the labor of indigenous people, peasants, and slaves on land confiscated from landowners under the Porfino Diaz government. Two main types of coffee are grown worldwide. Arabica, which is the 70% of worldwide production, and Robusta, which encompasses the rest. Robusta is primarily produced in Vietnam and countries in Asia, while Arabica is typically grown in Brazil and African countries. Robusta is typically used by coffee roasters to blend with Arabica to make cheaper coffee. These coffee types operate on different futures markets. Robusta is traded on the London Commodity Exchange, while Arabica is traded on the New York Coffee, Sugar, and Cocoa Exchange. A cheaper oversupply of Robusta has depressed Arabica prices, and producers have suffered from the price crash. The fair trade movement has increased momentum due to this price crash. Still, it can originally be traced to the post-war period when bread and wood institutions like the World Bank, IMF, and the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade began to influence world markets significantly. Since this movement started, there has been a distinguished difference between development strains and solidarity strains for fair trade. A solidarity strain developed particularly in the 60s and in the 80s, U.S. groups opposing government policies in Central America sold Cafe Nica to protest the official embargo on Nicaragua's imports. This movement was developed to provide trade instead of aid. It wanted to determine itself as separate from the paternalistic attitude of many charities. Additionally, cooperatives wished to be recognized as a replicable model rather than treated as something to have a dalliance with. The cooperative UCIRI, um, which was led by a Dutch liberation theology priest named Franz Vanderhoff Boersma, requested equitable access to European consumer markets for their farmers. In assessing these strides, Joffe focuses on one cooperative in the Mexican state of Oaxaca called Miquiza. He explains the background for community governance in this area where the cooperative is located. He explains that there's a dual authority, civil leadership that reflects the village's political status and represents the community before the federal government. Then, separately, there's a set of communal authorities that administer the community's needs and reflect its identity. The communal assembly is composed of all heads of household over 18 years of age, and they include a council of elders which conduct local elections. This cooperative's culture reflects liberation theology's movement which is evident in their song, The Corrido of Nikiza, which is sung during the group's meetings. While the organization is not as tied to the radical views of liberation theology today, it was a moral foundation for the creation of the group. 
For many years, Makiza tried to establish its export market, but ended up having to go through UCIRI when they could not do so. This period provoked Makiza's directors and members to take an interest in organic agriculture. In terms of organic agriculture, there are several means of coffee farming, and each varies on how well they keep the land in use. The first is called rustic or mountain coffee. This strategy amounts to removing some of the natural forest understory and replacing it with coffee. It has occurred in somewhat isolated areas where the indigenous communities living there introduce coffee to the native forest ecosystems. This particular system results in low coffee yields. The second system is traditional polyculture, and this represents up to 50% of Mexican co co <coughs> coffee parcels. This system is accompanied by other useful plant species, which include native and introduced plant species. The third system is commercial polyculture. This involves removing the natural forest cover and introducing trees, which provide shade cover. And this can include leguminous, leguminous <laughs> species. These homogenous plantations have a low level of diversity. The fourth system is shade monoculture, and this was the model promoted uh, by fair trade organizations, which began in the late 1970s. It requires that the producer regulate one species under one particular canopy. The fifth and final system is full sun coffee. This method requires large quantities of fertilizers and pesticides, as well as constant and continuous labor inputs. However, it generates very high yields. No matter which system cooperatives choose to use, all farmers face negative impacts due to the price crisis. An Oxfam Canada representative explained that many farmers have been forced to sell assets such as cattle and cut down on essential expenses by taking their children out of school or reducing food consumption. Others give up on coffee altogether, lose their farms, and have to migrate towards cities in the hope of a better future. In addition to this, a World Bank study found that 200,000 permanent and 400,000 temporary coffee pickers lost their jobs as a result of the crisis. Nicaragua, which was particularly impacted by the 1998 Hurricane Mitch, was the worst hit. In Nicaragua, 112,000 coffee workers were fired, which led to a famine in the Matagalpa region. 14 coffee farmers died of starvation during August 20, 2002 alone. And in 1999, the price paid by coyotes plummeted to below farmer costs of production. Though Jaffe wrote and researched his piece in 2006, the retail price shrinkage that goes back to producer nations shows how the global south has continued to lose power to northern agri-food corporations and governments. The way communities have continued to respond to the price crisis is privation, immigration, diversification, and immigration. Jaffe explains that families can become caught in a double bind where they're dealing with rock-bottom coffee prices on one side and then rising cost for labor on the other. Many families have abandoned part of their coffee crops or scaled it back to a level that they can accomplish purely with only family labor. Fair trade has many significant ways of addressing the problems inequitable trade presents. In theory, it can provide farmers with a guaranteed and stable floor prices for their coffee, which protects them from market highs and lows. Another critical way fair trade works is to cut out the middlemen and intermediate intermediaries who take cuts at every step and make the sale of coffee more direct. However, the most significant pos positive contributions fair trade can give includes guaranteeing minimum floor prices to producers and democratically run producer cooperatives or workplaces. 
long-term contracts and trading relationships, environmentally sustainable production practices, public accountability, financial transparency, financial and technical assistance to producers, and safe, non-exploitative working conditions. Fixed price also helps individuals maintain a stable home, home economy even when coyotes change prices. The level and timing of payments and access to credit gives members greater liquidity and lowers payments on credit from external sources. Fair trade can also have benefits for the environment. In spaces where deforestation is high and coffee is still produced on shade plantations, these spaces can be a critical refuge for forest biota. However, despite the pros of fair trade, several significant issues with fair trade currently, as it currently exists still operate. One problem with free trade is that many of the World Bank, the WTO, NAFTA, and the IMF exclusionary policies. The elimination of the barriers they've presented will require active intervention as superstate institutions continue to coercively implement these neoliberal exclusionary policies. Additionally, fair trade purports to present a fundamental challenge to market capitalism, but it still operates within it. Activists who have encouraged Starbucks to move to fair trade had the goal of all gourmet coffee being made fair. However, ultimately, Starbucks created fair trade coffee as another niche market. As a result, many consumers identify the fair trade concept with Starbucks, which has given Starbucks a PR boost with little change in actual practice. Due to the corporate dominance of the coffee market, many fair trade per participants feel the need to work with Main Street market players for the system and its benefits to grow. However, the social motivations of fair trade participants are completely opposed to the motivations of corporations. Another issue is that fair trade participants often face extreme consequences for any lapse in following code or procedure. Fair trade cooperatives are under severe pressure from the top to sanction all producers who do not follow guidelines to a T. For example, Joffe recounts how in the 2002-2003 season, McKeesa sanctioned 62 members. These members had to re-begin the two-year transition process to follow free trade guidelines and procedure. Joffe writes quite pointedly that the notion that international certifiers could require hundreds of thousands of impoverished small coffee producers around the world already reeling from the price crisis to undergo a complete conversion to organic practices in their subsistence food plots to keep their coffee certifications, it truly strains belief. The application of northern models, which do not account for the actual lives, labor force, and amount of control over inputs that these producers have, functions ultimately in a colonialist and neoliberal fashion. Ultimately, this is what I believe poses the most significant problem for the future of fair trade. The legacy of colonialism that has created the system of injustices that provoke fair trade as a solution continues to resonate with individuals even within these alternative systems. Jonathan Rosenthal, a founder of Equal Exchange and the Just Works Director, recalled an early FLO meeting with producer representatives. He said, I remember the white Europeans getting up and saying, when there was some conflict with producers, hey, we're here to serve you. This fair trade is your program. We're here for you. Then a producer gets up and says, okay, then how can we only have a voice and not a vote? If it's ours, let us run it. And then there was a dead silence, and the Europeans got very angry. But in a sense, there is a promise, an image of fair trade as about and for producers on their behalf. But the hypocrisy of the colonial moment was exposed. And Rosenstahl 
said, I believe today, whether it's in the U.S. context of what's going on or in the FLO, there's still an unspoken reality. We say we're here to serve producers, but we want to tell them what to do. Now, for instance, in today's world, many literature packets you pick up at Latitudes or Trader Joe's, for example, say that partners have the chance to break a cycle of poverty and farm their land sustainably. However, this is just not true or accurate. Joffrey recounts how many members of McKeesa have not broken that cycle. They remain impoverished, even if they are marginally better off than other producers. Joffrey explains that the payments that reach these fair trade farmers, 71 cents per pound for producers in 2004, and less for those in transition, are well below the reasonable trade floor prices of $1.41 per pound and below the break-even point for all but the most efficient producers. Joffe asked Paula Giliani, the president of FLO and the CEO of Max Havilar Switzerland, uh, during two months after talking with Contreras Diaz during the WTO ministerial talks in Cancun, as to why producers are still unable to break even. In her disheartening response, she explained that if McKeesa members can barely break even, then they have a problem with the administration of their cooperative, and they can vote in their General Assembly and change the president or the administrator. This, to me, is the most significant critical issue the future of fair trade faces. It will ultimately continually continue to operate within the confines of a colonialist mentality unless Northern Agri-Food Corporation stop monopolizing trade point blank and only if developing economies are allowed further say and discretion in the World Trade Organization and other organizing slash development entities. You can't pretend to optimize the region's economy while continuing to operate in and play to the structures which lessen its power in the first place. So when you buy fair trade coffee, you might be conceiving that you're directly benefiting lives, but this isn't exactly the truth. There might be a marginal and slight benefit um, to buying fair trade, but ultimately, helping microeconomies um, and implementing fair trade would not be an issue if exclusionary trade policies for the West did not exist. The way Western nations use tariff brokering prevents developing countries from accessing the same benefits of trade. I think this is a core issue, and while fair trade can be helpful, ultimately it protects and promotes the power structures that currently exist. This is Hannah Bratton, signing off for Where's Your Wherewithal. Take care, and thanks for listening.